the first thing I noticed when you walked in is your shoes. But I feel like every time I see you, <laughs> I'm like, I'm a slob. I'm <laughs> such a slob because you're put together. You're like dressed up without being dressed up. It's ca- <laughs> it's casual, it's but it's, it's jeans, dapper. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like, it wouldn't surprise me if you had a butterfly knife or a brass pair of brass knuckles in your brass pocket. <laughs> well, you got to protect yourself. You never know what's going to happen out there. But um, <laughs> There's a store in Trolley Square called Spark. Have you ever been there before? Trolley no. Square? No. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, primarily a men's clothing store, but they have the best shoes, hands down, that you can find in Salt Lake. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Really? Yeah. It, yeah. Is it like... Let's go. Th- those almost feel like they're Taft, but not. No. Um, there's a pretty good selection, though. They've got boots. They've got winter gear, the whole nine yards, but... So you're a you're a shoe guy, not necessarily a sneaker guy, but a shoe guy. More shoe, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Have you always been into that? Um, since I was young, probably. Yeah, I was like looking nice. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> would you uh, when would you tour and would you perform with shoes like that? I would. In fact, I would fall wow. off stages occasionally because of that. Because if you look on the bottom, <laughs> yeah, there's no, slick. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, um, dude. <laughs> Yeah, touring is kind of funny. I wouldn't really dress up per se. I'd wear like a tank top and dress shoes, which would kind of look funny, but that was my style. It was your thing, dude. Yeah. yeah. And when when were you touring? It was... So I joined the band Victim Effect in 2004. So this was like the height of the emo movement. We all had like jet black hair and swooped to the side. Oh, yeah. In fact, yeah. if I were to show you guys the pictures from that, that time, you'd laugh. It, it was pretty funny, but the use was really big. I'm, I'm looking at Victim Effects right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, type in Victim Effect Band, and you'll find some interesting stuff. Um, but the used was huge back then. Oh, we yeah. We got to open up for, with, for, for them a few times. Um, L- L- uh, the used is Utah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're from they're Utah County. S- good dudes. Springville. Oh, awesome guys. Yeah. 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 What happened going. to them? They're still going. Are they yeah, really? They, they still make music. Huh. So the drummer, uh, Brandon Steinecker, is now the drummer of Rancid, if you're familiar with Rancid. Dude, I, l- I mean, so I'm not huge into the emo thing, but... But uh, Rancid, Lars Fredrickson, and the Bastards, yeah. I dig all of that. Yeah, oh, for sure. I used to work at Sam Goody, and I'd have people come in, and they'd be like, hey, uh, I'm looking for this song. And they, it, you know, it was like the late 90s. Yeah. So they'd just start singing it to you. And it was when Outcome, Outcome the Wolves, I think, was not all that old. It was kind of a newer album. So and Out Came the Wolves, that's like 96, I want to say. That's what about when I was 90s? at... Um, Sam Goody. Okay. And so people would always come in and, and sing those songs. And I was like, it rancid. And you can stop singing, dude. Like, <laughs> you're not good. <laughs> There's no Shazam back then. Yeah, no. that's hilarious. No. So you'd literally have them come in, they'd sing a song, and you'd be like, oh, this this band, that's the CD one. Oh, dude, it was every day. You'd just joke around. Like, people were coming in singing. It was like 96 90 through 99, I think I was there. And they'd come in and sing Britney Spears and Rancid. and <laughs> Yeah. Like I can't, I, I don't know what it was, but it's this, it's this kind of tune, and they'd hum it, and you're like, "Please save us all, shut up!" I have no idea what you're talking. About. Let, let me just you're get like, you no, now no. six, and you're probably in good shape. <laughs> That's when those albums like started yeah, I know. popping. Dude. I know. Okay, so I derailed okay. you. The drummer, he he's now with Rancid. So he's now with Rancid. Uh, Quinn, who's the old guitar player, is in a band with his wife called Beta Wave, I believe. But the original two guys, um, I think, are still in the band, but they're still touring and, and doing amazing stuff. So <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Right on. But you're and you play with Earl, right? I do. So my the band Victim Effect broke up in like 2009. 
It's um, a good run. Yeah, it was a, a lot of those bands. I think were hit for a year and then out. Well, it was kind of a weird time. Um, bands were getting signed to what they call 360 deals. So essentially, mm. you're signing over your merchandise, your tour revenue, everything is given back to the record label. Um, and they're giving, they would give you an advance, but it's essentially a loan. Mm-hmm. And unless you're radio friendly, it's nearly impossible to pay that back. So um, this is when streaming was first getting big. Lovely. So getting signed didn't really mean a whole lot. Like we would meet with Capitol Records, we met with Sony BMG, um, but the offers we were getting just weren't that agreeable so we did our own thing for a while and yeah it was a lot of fun do you got do you guys are you on spotify do you does like i found i found them on apple so one of your one of your albums we are on apple um we haven't gotten spotify yet again this is like back even when youtube was first brand new so we've got some videos on youtube which are are pretty funny to watch (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait dude dude let's do it yeah Some, Pretty some awesome, <laughs> dude. It looks dope, <laughs> man. Wow. <laughs> well, and on that note, Greg's like, "F you, I'm out." <laughs> He's like, "I'm out." All right. Well, it was thanks, bro. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So I grew up in a very religious household. My mom was a classical pianist. I grew up playing church hymns, the organ, piano. Um, but I got my first electric guitar when I was 15 years old. So everyone in high school had been playing for years and was way better than me. So I thought I'm gonna play hours on end and get as good as I can. So I listened to old Rage Against the Machine albums. I'd get oh, into let's go. Pennywise and Bad Religion yeah, and all Bad these. Religion, yeah, yeah. Some of my favorite punk bands. Um, so by the time I was a senior in high school, I was one of the best guitar players in the high school, and that was that was a lot of fun. So I was late to the game, but I think because I had a background playing piano and playing organ, it really helped me learn guitar and mm-hmm. go from there. So do you still play organ and piano and that stuff? Uh, not as much as I used to, but I still do. But you can, yeah, for sure, dude. I'm I am so musically. I want to learn I can't do anything. I tried <laughs> to I tried to play a six string bass for a while. I think I just have nubby fingers. I couldn't like wrap my wrist. I couldn't reach it. it <laughs> everything was just so awkward. I just I I'm obsessed with music. My kids are obsessed with music. Yeah, we have no talent. No talent when it comes to playing. I can see you being more of like a DJ, like Skrillex style. Like oh, sure. That would crowd. be cool, too, by the way. I do, be I do love that kind of music. In fact, when we were setting up, I've got this uh, sound of Copenhagen right here. Okay. When I was at Skull Candy, we made a shift to try to do Supreme Sound. Mm-hmm. We're trying to shift away from like being the Rasta skater brand mm-hmm. into premium. So we, we went all around the, the globe doing events and promoting it with uh, this guy named Tetsuro Oishi. Okay. He was the he was the second in command at Bose under Dr. Bose who invented noise canceling headphones. Like wow. Tet was the man. I remember he got brought into Skull Candy to lead all of our music upgrades or, you know, the headphone upgrades. And being in product marketing, they're like, you and Tet need to become close. And I f- sit down with him, and he's, like, straight from Japan, very traditional Japanese. Sure. And then it's me. And we're like, <laughs> how's this going to – dude, he be- he's become one of my very best friends. He's a mentor. He's, But we traveled the world, and when we went to Copenhagen, our distributor there – like, one of the coolest distributors in the world. They're called Playground, and their mm. side business is they do Red Bull productions okay. as their other thing. But they had put together um, one-off records from DJs in Copenhagen. And 
they only made a hundred of those boxes. And oh, wow. the music is it's different. It's kind of weird and quirky, but I freaking love it. I rap oh, I've cool. rep that record constantly in the studio just jamming. <laughs> but that's the kind of, like if I had any skill set, I would hope it could be something like that. Sure. Like, but I just don't understand music theory or the cadence of music enough either. Like it's I think it's one thing to try to pick a riff on a guitar or something, which I have no ability to do. But then for you to make music and and create it from scratch, that's like next level for me. I don't I don't think I could do it. Well, I think coming from the old school punk scene, most of the guys weren't good musicians. They just loved music. And there's a really cool scene where everyone embraced each other. And so if you go back to even like bands like the Sex Pistols, they weren't the most brilliant musicians, but they made really good music. And that's what I love about the old, old punk movement. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So you still jam to punk music? Is that your thing? Or are For you sure. finding that your taste has evolved over the years? So, I mean, everyone gets into indie rock. Everyone gets into... I, I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, The Doors was one of my favorite bands. Um, but the band I play in now, it's kind of funny. It's a bunch of tech executives. Yeah. So you've got Earl Foote, who's the owner of Nexus IT. Yeah. You've got Mark Olson, who's VP of Technology at USANA. Joseph Jamrich, who's CTO at Park City Group, and then my business partner Chris Smith also plays guitar. Wait, I didn't know Chris played too. Chris plays the keys and he plays guitar. He's a gnarly musician. I freaking love him. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's such a good dude. He's yeah. a humble giant. He's what almost six six. Got five kids, which I don't know how he handles that. I've only got one, and I can barely manage my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your you have a daughter that's like teenage years. Uh, she just turned twelve. Actually, twelve. She's playing competitive soccer, which our life kind of revolves around at this point. So she's ain't doing, that the truth? Yeah, that's they have practiced four days a week. She has a personal trainer, which is awesome. I mean, when I was growing up, you could play multiple sports, and that was kind of encouraged. Whereas now, as you pick one sport, you focus on that, and then you get really good at that, and that's kind of the, the way you go. Yeah. We all wanted to be Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Bo was the man. I don't know if you man. had that black and blue Bo Jackson poster on your wall. Yes. <laughs> okay, and true story. When I went to GoPro, my boss, when um, she was a uh, competitive professional Sea-Doo rider, like the ones where the oh, handles yeah, went yeah, up really. and down, you know? And she's a, she's a bit older now, right? Yeah. But like back in the day, she did that. And uh, she dated both Bo Jackson and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's a claim to fame right there. Yeah. That's and she'd always be like, she's like, look, Arnold's a big man. You know, here, but, mm, but Bo's big <laughs> everywhere. Oh, Jesus. Like, Girl, Jesus. I don't need to hear that. She's like, I'm just saying <laughs> some men can be can be large men, but they're not very big guys. Bo Jackson was both. <laughs> okay. Literally and figuratively. Cool. That's good for she was a trip to work with <laughs> that was that, was, that was like day was one that was at gopro okay i forgot you were with those guys yeah so did i <laughs> that was a whirlwind it wasn't long i was only there for like yeah 18 months okay but i was hired as number i was like employee 106 or some garbage mm -hmm. and in 18 months when i left there were over 1800 employees wow it was i mean i joined Right as they launched Hero 3. Okay. So it was like, it was just insane. Mm. When I left, they were doing $250 million a year with Best Buy alone. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. I don't think that's happening anymore, but no. it's just too easy from your phone. Absolutely. Did you grow up here in Utah? 
So I grew up, uh, I was born in Provo. My dad okay. was getting his PhD from BYU. Um, and then we moved to Phoenix when I was probably six or seven months old. So lived in Phoenix till I was about 11. And then my parents are from Southern Utah originally. Okay. So we moved to St. George, and that's where I did junior high and high school. And then moved up here to go to the U and been here ever since. Oh, okay. That's rad, dude. Yeah, you just, yeah, when I, I always, I'm always curious about how the transition is from like, you know, you because you mentioned super religious home to like punk indie or like you know emo music. Like, what was that like in in your family? Were your parents like, were they wild about it? Were they not wild about it? What was that like? Well, I think they always pushed me to be creative, which I always loved. And even though it wasn't music that they necessarily loved, they would always come to my concerts and they were always very supportive, which was awesome. Oh, okay, cool. Um, but it was yeah, it was definitely a rough transition coming from a religious household to be playing on the Warp Tour and playing the big ass show and where there's a lot more swearing <laughs> and things which aren't quite religious but um no they were very supportive and i'm very grateful for the support they gave me yeah okay that's cool and uh religious now spiritual like how do you um i definitely believe in a higher being i can't quantitate exactly what that means but i think it's important sure. to believe in something beyond yourself um is it yeah. the you know white mormon jesus that i grew up <laughs> believing in probably not but that's sure. okay too yeah that's cool i love yeah. that all of his friends in the middle east were named like Mark, Adam, and Paul. It just adds up to me. <laughs> <laughs> we have all these uh, white that's American names. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I'm not bashing. I, I well, yeah, but it's <laughs> just an yeah, yeah. observation. That's yeah, yeah, all. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. Yeah. What's funny, though, um, going back to the Warp Tour, there were bands like Under Oath, if you're familiar with those guys, uh -huh. or I'm trying to think of other, even Paramore, for example. They were all oh, yeah. Christians. Yeah. So a lot of the shows that we would play, especially going through like Tennessee and Kentucky, throughout that part of the country, we're all at born-again churches. And yeah. they have these hardcore punk rock shows, which I thought was awesome. Well, yeah. I know, like, the Killers aren't a hardcore band, but that's a Christian band. If you listen to their stuff, well, they're straight-up Christian. Brandon Flowers. Brandon's, yeah, Brandon's yeah. very LDS. He's from uh, Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. He he was started Mormon, and then he kind of... Well, I don't know his whole story, but I think there was a point there where he wasn't, like, maybe sure or whatever, and then and now... But now he's... I think... Uh, the Imagine Dragons dude, same thing. Yep. Yeah, but he's uh, not Dan Reynolds. Yeah, but he's not. I think he's in it, and he's like, there are things about it, specifically that's, that's LGBTQ, okay. yeah, that he's okay. like, I, yeah. I want to try to help change from the inside. Yeah. I love the work. I'm not a huge fan of the band. I mean, they're talented. It's just not my style. But I like his his support and yeah, his, his mission yeah. and yeah. the I, I really things he stands for, and and the way that he's able to say like, I can be a part of this and still be a part of this other thing and mm -hmm. support it i think that like balance is hard yeah. for people yeah that's cool it's so much easier to just be like i'm one or the other i've enjoyed i enjoyed a lot of his like interviews especially like his on howard stern did you watch I him on, okay he went on howard stern and howard was grilling him and he was just like he's like nope and and then he he did a pretty i thought he handled it pretty well because howard stern's not a very <laughs> nice dude I didn't know how Return was even still doing things. Uh, fair enough. Didn't didn't he interview someone who called in and was like a serial killer? He did. Like no way. Yeah. That's on YouTube. You can listen to the whole thing. It's really weird. And Whoa. he he thinks he's joking at first, right? But then I think he realizes like, yo, wait a second, this is real, and it it goes on for a while. I think he even asked the guy how many people he's killed, and he gives like some random number, and he yeah. says it so deadpan that you're like. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no one laughed like he didn't chuckle at the no. end. It's creepy, yeah. dude. Ooh, all right, let's go check. I'll go listen to it. You know who I think it is? Oh. Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, 
We talked about this before. There's a conspiracy <laughs> out there. That. I know you Googled it and it wasn't there. Whatever. Fact check. <laughs> fact Look check. on TikTok. TikTok's real news. <laughs> but people are like, the places that he paints, they found dead bodies in. Really? Yeah. Multiple unique locations he's painted dead bodies. <laughs> it kind of adds up, dude, if yeah, you think like, about it. Like, that's crazy. So when did you okay. guys start the podcast, or when did this all get Well, we haven't even released one yet. Okay. Yeah. But we're like, um, I don't know, you're, you're probably in the 10, 12 episodes we've done okay. now. Yeah, and it's just, it's kind of evolved. Um, so Dalton has a podcast called The Thinking Project. Okay. Which is just... Mm -hmm. Awesome. But you've fun. been on before. Uh, well, I was yeah. pissed that he had never invited me on it. And so I, I like made yeah. made some snark comment and somehow <laughs> weaseled my way on. We got and on. I think I don't know if I'm wrong or right here, but I feel like we just it was a different episode. Like yeah. it was we much more for, just casual and laugh like this. for ninety minutes, yeah. So we we like closed the podcast and Dalton's like, dude, we should do one that's not business. We should do one that's just we're just shooting the shit with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you say? And I'd been wanting to do one for a long time. In fact, I had initially, I did a podcast right at the beginning of the pandemic called Ordinary. Okay. And it was, the premise was, let's interview ordinary people with extraordinary stories. I like that. And I made it through like seven or eight episodes, launched it. I made $6 in ad revenue, but someone from Forbes listened and contacted me and they were like, we really love your podcast. We really? love what you're doing with ment like that you're talking about mental health. We think that you should start a mental health movement or a company or something and we would support it. And oh. randomly, I had been working with Levi Lindsay at the time and we'd been talking yep. about doing something and I'm like I go back to Levi and I'm like, "Dude, I think if we want to start something like Forbes would back this. What do you say?" And that's how mind came out. Like that was the beginning of mind and mm -hmm. It was Forbes who I was on a call with them and, and we were talking about like they were asking about logos and what the branding would be. And I'm like, I don't think we should have a brand. I, I don't think it's about a company. It's about a cause. We need something that's accessible to everyone. And I was like, we need like an emoji like a, like the rainbow is to mm -hmm. LGBTQ. And they were like, yo, dig in on that. That's what you need. You need an emoji that is something people can put on social that says I'm a social me or I'm a mental health advocate. Mm -hmm. And so that's how our logo ended up becoming the thought bubble. Yeah. And Forbes ended up pushing that out. We had like 50,000 people putting the thought bubble on their social profile within the first like 45 days. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mine's still on there. Yeah. Well, I think everybody's still on there, but yeah, thanks. Yeah. And congrats on what you guys are doing. I think it's pretty amazing. I think mental health is just such a taboo subject for most people that it's not talked about, especially in the business community. Which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, dude, I'm. Which is where you should. It should be right, like in the business community. Of I all think places. so. It's mind f wildly enough. Like Levi and I had that. It was making great momentum. And dude, we we launched a little bit. Like, okay, we've talked about the logo. We've talked about some high level stuff with Forbes, and then it just sat and it sat. And so I was like, I'm just gonna post on LinkedIn and try to build in public. Maybe it will force me and Levi to do something. Yeah. To, to step up and I posted it and our first post got like 30,000 views on on LinkedIn of all places. That's amazing. And we were like, oh, crap, we should do this. Yeah. Well, we've never had a plan. And then a as time went on and Levi and I both left Bit Army, and we've been pretty open about Levi and I were like, 
<laughs> soul bros, and then we weren't real tight, and then we got back together, and we're like soul bros again. The band's back together. Yeah. But when it went, when it dipped like that, our relationship, we just kind of stopped everything with mind. Mm. And then as we started building our relationship back together, there was all this guilt and pressure that we were putting on ourselves. Like, we have something here and we're letting it squander. And it negatively impacted our mental health. Hmm. You just started feeling so like, dude, we, we squandered this. We were supposed to be helping people and we're not. And just recently, like two months ago, we were like, we think it's time that we just fold it. And uh, so we went on LinkedIn because that's what we do. And we're like, we think we're going to do this. And, dude, the number of DMs we got, people were like, please don't do this. Please bring it back, yada, yada, yada. And then we had people come back and be like, yo, we will run it. Like, Levi and I have never taken one cent from the business. There's not a lot of money in it. Uh, But any money we we collected, we were giving to pay for people's free therapy. Mm. So I'm like, you can come run it, but there's no money. Like, this is a strictly volunteer thing. So James Clawson, he was like, Dude, I believe in this so much. Let me be the GM, and I'll push it. And so last month, we did, like, a full 30-day challenge, and he's building That's amazing. a long-term plan, and he's, like, helping us bring it back. And so it's it feels good to to kind of have that come back but, and not feel the weight sure. of, yeah. like, it was so ironic You're that we were about, like, down, yeah. you know, you don't have to deal with mental health alone. And then me <laughs> and Levi are like, we're dealing with it alone. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, thanks. I think everyone should have a therapist at some point in their lives. Um, I just started, not to get too personal, but I started going to see a therapist about three years ago, um, dealing with some stuff from you know my childhood, which kind of resurfaced during COVID. Yeah. And uh, it's been an absolute game changer. I mean, the, uh, the fact that you can get in touch with yourself and confront these demons that you've been holding onto for years and years was, has been a total game changer for me. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Dude, I'm glad to hear That's it. I think, I think even just sharing that, um, a guy like you, right? Like successful, own is involved, owns tech companies, um, well respected. Like one of the nicest people I've ever met. To be able to have someone like you say, "Yeah, I go to therapy. I've been for three years and I love it." I think it makes other people similar to you, or or earlier on in their journey, go, "Oh, it it's okay for me to go, and I probably should," because no one was talking about it. 10 years ago no like you wanted right. to hide that you were going to see a therapist yeah and now it's like in everyone's hr benefit package and yeah you're openly talking about mm-hmm. and it's wonderful i agree going to therapy it did it, it's changed my life do you still, still go yeah i've been on and off i'm starting back up again i took a little break and then it's like why did i why did i stop my therapist shifted companies this is one thing i think is ridiculous yeah if your therapist goes from whatever company they're working for and they change and move to another company, mm-hmm. they can't tell you what company they moved to. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah and they it's can't a, like, it's, take them or whatever. Like, yeah. So I'm like, well, I, my therapist, her name was Kelly. I'm like, dude, I freaking loved Kelly. We had years of this back and forth. And then she leaves and it all has to be secret. And I can't. Mm. So I've been trying to find, like, where the hell did she end up? Wow. Um, and she can't say. I mean, I've got her. Even when you're texting her, it goes through the other company, the, like mm. the company, right? So, it's been hard to try to find her, but I just found her again. 
I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm going back. Yeah, because that's important. Yeah, it, it has bugged me because I've done that. I've been on and off therapy for a while, too, and like, that is annoying because I get you drive with somebody and then they leave, and I'm like, oh, come on. And I'm like, I even asked him one time. I was like, is this like a non compete thing? Because you know, those are, st- they don't hold up yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like, like, it doesn't make sense that they're not putting the, the, the patient first. They're putting the, the pra- and not even the therapist, they're putting the practice first, right? Exactly. Right. Which is just weird. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's like a HIPAA thing. No one will really say when I would try right. to ask. They're and just I, like yeah. it's policy. Yeah, because I'm like I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. Can't be a non compete thing. Like we're literally dealing with mental health here. It's like if my doctor moved practices, I could find my doctor. Yeah. Why do I have to start over? Three years of like, okay, let me start again. When I was six. Yes, that is the hard part. Well, that's <laughs> the hardest yeah. part is even getting yourself to go to therapy in the first place, right? Yeah. That's true. Humbling yourself and realizing that there's something beyond yourself that you need help with and asking yeah. for help. Um, yeah, I, I was. that was my biggest concern was, am I going to jive with this person? Am I going to get too personal? Are they going to judge me? But I think it's just the exact opposite. The more open you are, the more you get out of it. Did it take yeah. you a while to find someone you jived with, or were you... Were no, you lucky, first I got, one? I got really lucky first time around. Um, my therapist is absolutely amazing. I won't say his name, of course, but um, he comes from a medical background where he was an actual doctor at Brown University teaching oh, in dang. medical school and then went back to school and got into counseling and psychology. And so he brings both the physical aspect to it as well as the mental aspect, which I think is very important. Um, but yeah, I've learned so much very from cool. him, and it's been an amazing experience. Yeah, very cool. I love that. Yeah. So is it something that, like, you're open with your daughter about she's 12 is it something that yeah um i just learned that i was bipolar a couple years ago which i had no idea growing up i mean i I loved my my upbringing my family is amazing but things like mental health just weren't talked about and so yeah it just wasn't in the culture yeah yeah and so i i wondered why my moods were always up and down how they were and so finally um after going to some therapy i talked with my daughter and i said you know this is what i'm dealing with this is probably why I've acted how I have sometimes, and please forgive me for that. And I think the more open you are with your kids and your family, the better it is. Yeah, my wife was diagnosed with bipolar as well, mm-hmm. and our kids are little, and she goes to therapy every week, and we make that a priority. And it's it's kind of cool in our house. Like, if, if you come on Friday between 1 and 3, and you ask my daughter, where's mom? My daughter, who's 7, will be like, mom's in therapy for a little bit. That's awesome. Like, she's getting help. You know what I mean? And, like, and like not help like but you know what i mean like she's but it is it is help herself. yeah she's working on herself because even my daughter who's seven and my son who's five will like tell them like my wife will sit down and i'm like hey i think i'm going through this like i'm in whatever an episode or whatever so you just need to be patient i'm probably gonna do whatever like but and and it just changes the dynamic like when you know what's going on it doesn't necessarily make it any easier per se but it does help you understand like what's going on so i think that's pretty cool yeah, yeah it's really fun it's it's cool to get your kids involved yeah. It's it's interesting when you start learning about yourself and your spouse or your kids and cuz like I have I have older kids um 19, 16 and then younger ones, you know. It's primarily my two olders. Um but they they go to therapy and we've figured out like when there's confrontation, when there's conflict or whatever, I'm I'm avoidance. I'm like Look, we could be pissed. I just need to go in my room for two hours. I need to go for a drive. I need to go golf. Mm. I need to go do something. 
And my wife, she's the opposite. She's, I don't know, I can't remember what hers is called exactly, but it's like she wants to fix it and talk it out right then and there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so you have these two personalities. The more she's trying to approach it from her point of view, the, f- <laughs> the more angry it makes me. But the more I do mine, the more like frustrating it is for her. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like this. So we'll have yeah. to have conversations where it's like, okay, I know that you want to do this, but this time we need to let me deal with it my way. Or this time, my wife's like, I cannot. We have, and I have to just suck it up yeah. and go through it. But even yeah. being aware of that has changed so much for us mm-hmm. and the way we interact together with our two older kids. Yeah, um, it's it's cool to see. Yeah, and when you see it come into real life, I don't know. It just makes you feel like, why would I not? Go to therapy. Yeah. Why would I not learn this about myself? Well, it's an ongoing yeah. process too. It's not like you reach this pinnacle and then you stop. It's an ongoing thing, and you're consistently growing and learning. And I think that's an important aspect to, to realize about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did how did uh, if you want to talk about this? If not, we'll move on. But I just remember when my wife was going through kind of like that diagnosis. How was that for you? Was it like was there a little bit of you know like no way or what? I mean, how was it for you? I felt justified. I felt good. I felt yeah. like finally I understand and see, that's why I am the way felt. that I am. Yeah. It was very liberating is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, and allowed me to get the tools that I needed to combat whatever issues I was dealing with. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. I that's love, empowering. Yeah, it is cool. When you're yeah. like, I have, a, like, I, yeah, I got diagnosed with ADHD. and It helps me figure out all the stuff, too. Yeah, it's good. Well, and to anyone listening to this podcast, again, realizing that everyone has problems. There's none of us, yes. regardless of where you come from, what background you have, everyone has something that they can deal with. And if therapy is the answer, then by all means, go for it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I do. Yeah. So uh, it's you, your wife, and your daughter. Your daughter is doing soccer full time. Yep. Um, dude, I I grew up playing soccer, and there were like two choices of teams. <laughs> and now I take my kids. I take I took my eight year old son to try out for one club and just eight year olds alone. There were like 400 kids trying out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's where did all the kids come from? And where, <laughs> what were all the kids doing when we were, when we were kids? Cause they weren't all playing sports like that. It's insanely expensive. And so my it is a racket on a club team called avalanche little plug for avalanche there. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's competitive. It's expensive. But the important thing for me is that she's having fun and she's actually learning stuff and, as long as she's having fun, then we'll keep pushing her to do it. Yeah. I like the – my son is very competitive when he's there, but when it's practice or getting ready for it, he doesn't want to do it. And I think even just teaching your kids, you made a commitment to a team. Yep. You made a commitment to someone else. You might rather go ride your bike or you know play basketball in the front yard or whatever, but you made a commitment. You're going. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's not always an easy, fun conversation to have with an eight-year-old. <laughs> no, but I think it it helps kids mature. I think it helps them learn a lot about life. I think it's not to your point. It's not really about the sport itself. It's about having fun, having this like connection with other kids. I I love that that my kids are involved in stuff like that. Well, I think there in our community, there's this attitude of everyone's a winner, everyone's succeeding, which has value, but there's also value in, in losing, right? And in, in getting knocked on your ass and yeah. realizing that you didn't quite make it, right? And improving yourself and putting in the work to get better and better. Yeah, my oldest son, he's 13. He 
he just dropped out of soccer and he's now doing individual sports. Like nice. he's mountain biking, doing track and field. Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, wants to play singles tennis, but he doesn't want to play doubles. Um, but I think some of it is when he was out on the soccer field, he was very cerebral. He he loves the game. Like we watch, we wake up Saturday morning, Sunday morning early to watch European soccer. Like, oh yeah. So he's he's very smart and understands the game. But he was always so afraid of making a mistake that he became a very passive player. Mm. And oh, yeah. like he'd get the ball and instantly he'd just want to get rid of it and then move into a new space. And he's like, he found joy in being the guy that was in the right place at the right time, <laughs> but not the guy who would like take a risk. And he was afraid of losing the ball or oh, missing yeah. a slide tackle or those things. And so at 13, I'm like, dude, it's not about winning. It's it's actually about trying. It's it's about losing. Like Dude, anyone who yeah. knows me in my career, I've lost way more than I've won. But it's the resilience to just keep trying that yeah. gets you through your career or your marriage or your friendships or life or whatever. I think this everyone deserves a trophy thing. I'm with you. There's some value in it, but there's also some harm that comes with it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, my son who's five. He wrestles. and I do jujitsu, and that's what I like. Because uh, there's no, um, I don't know, you lose a lot. You get your you, ass handed yeah, to you. you lose a lot. And that's, <laughs> I coined that phrase. I was like, there's something sacred about getting your ass kicked. Like, even now, like, <laughs> I think there's, I think my Sex. favorite part about jujitsu is like, and, and wrestling, this is when I learned not to judge people by how they look. And, I, I'm, and I'll never forget the story because I, I, saw, I saw it when I was like 17. But we had, we were in Iowa, we were at the state or we were at uh, the Southern Iowa Classic, which is like you have state tournament and then you have the Southern mm-hmm. Iowa Classic and you had your individual meet and then you had your team duels and we were at the team duels. And this was like, it might as well have been state because we were ranked like number three. We had other teams. We were the top five teams were all there. And we get this guy and in wrestling, they don't start at the same weight. You flip a coin and you pick which weight sure. you start at. And so we started like the little weight and the our, our guy goes out there. He's ranked number two. And that we didn't know who the number one ranked person was, but this kid comes out that he's wrestling, and we're like, "We got this!" Like they might, they <laughs> must have, they must have put somebody in front of this guy because they, because like there's a strategy sometimes, right? Like we're gonna put like a in guy, baseball, you yeah, we're gonna put like the JV, fourth. yeah, we're gonna put the JV guy here because we know this, we're gonna lose this one, and we're gonna go pick it up later. And so we're like, "Dude, we got this! This guy's stringy, he's lanky, our guy's stocky, he's built," and, um. He got wrecked. Dude, in the first 30 seconds, he's on his back, and we're, like, freaking out. And I'm like, holy crap. And our guy, his name was Chase. He came back and won by, like, a point in overtime. And our coach goes, you did really good. That was the number one guy in the state. And I was like, this kid looked like, I mean, he had glasses that had tape in the middle. You know what I mean? (laughs) This guy is a He's Urkel. He freaking dominated. I mean, and so, and then jujitsu is the same way. If we get a real cocky guy. We'll put him up against like the guy who comes in. We'll put him up against like our our brown belt uh, girl trainer. Like she teaches, she's a brown belt. She'll just she's like a hundred pounds. So she'll just kill anybody. And I love that. I love that about like you just you never know. That's why people who are like wrestlers in jujitsu they don't pick fights. Like it prevents bullying because you just know you. I'm just like this guy could mess me up and I don't even know it. My favorite athlete growing up was Mike Tyson, and he oh, was yeah. only 5'10". 
he looked intimidating. Of course, he was probably what two thirty, two forty in his prime. Yeah. But the guys that he was boxing were like six five, six six, two eighty, two ninety, and he would just destroy them. Yeah. I mean, that was like a spectacle when I was growing up. It's Friday. There's the Mike Tyson Vander Holyfield fight. Everyone gets together at your buddy's house. That was like such a magical time. Yeah. I love that. Dude, I have had so much fun going back and rewatching some of his fights. Oh yeah. He he had a motor that I don't know. I mean, and he has a few screws loose, but he, the guy's just the he was the most fun fighter to ever watch. I agree. Hands so down. confident. And and boxing now has lost a lot of the the drama. I think I can't. I don't enjoy it like I enjoy watching the yeah. old stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you guys like UFC? You like MMA? Yeah, stuff like that. That's cool. It's fun to watch. I tried to uh, get into Muay Thai for a minute. Muay Thai, dude. Yeah, dude. I I loved. Training on the bags, you know, yes. work, and then I I got in the ring and I clocked a dude a couple of times. I was like, oh, this is cool. I got hit once and I was like, bitch, I'm out, <laughs> dude. Like I'm done, dude. I, yeah, I'm not coming back. <laughs> Can I tell you, I had the craziest. I, I was in therapy for like a week after this, but I did a boxing match and I remember getting in the ring. We were it was my first time sparring, and I got bullied in high school. Uh, and I can see that. Yeah, and <laughs> I got bullied. I got bullied, and dude, the yeah, first time, out. the first time I got punched in the face, I had to go through a whole mental thing of like, holy crap! I realized why I never wanted to get punched in the face, and I had such a crazy, like, anyway. But yes, getting punched in the face wasn't that Mike Tyson who said that, right? It's like yeah. everybody's got a plan. Everyone's got a plan to get knocked in the, in the face. Yeah, until yeah. you get punched in the face, and yeah. you're like, that is the most true statement i've ever heard in my life so have you ever have you ever like tried to get into it do you have Uh, any interest in it i would love to get into boxing i find it fascinating the whole training aspect and the fact that you can do it by yourself versus you know yeah um but i've never tried it i'd love to get into it though i tell you what i what i liked about muay thai i didn't realize one it is even if you're just sparring against a bag it is physical dude it is it is exhausting but the the thing that made me because I I probably trained before I actually socked somebody and then got my ass handed to me <laughs> for like six months or so. Wow, yeah, it's mental, dude. Yeah. It is such a mental game of like, okay, if this is happening, here's my counter. Here's option one. Here's option two. Yeah. Here's a combo. Here, like my feet are need to be this way. My head needs to be here. Yeah, there's so much more going on upstairs than I think people who don't understand the sport sure. recognize. I think they're like, these yeah. two meatheads just get in there and just beat the hell out of each other. It's like, no, it's no, a chess it's, match. You know how to fight, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah, you have to know how to fight. It's Go to Legends Boxing if you want to Where's try that? it. Uh, they're, they're, they're a franchise. They're kind of all over the okay. place. They have some in South. But they're like, uh, they just show you the mechanic. They're taught by real boxers, but there's no like ego. Like, you know, you walk into a boxing. Sure. These guys. But uh, Legends Boxing is good, but one thing that always surprised me about fighting that people this is the people who don't fight versus the people who do fight is the people who do fight always want to fight and the people who don't fight never want to fight huh like i ne- i like i don't <laughs> i'll like is run because you get it out in the ring you get no it dude out i just know training? like or you just know how bad it can you mean end fighting up. in the ring or fighting outside or just the ring? any at any time okay. like i don't like to just fight. like at about time yeah yeah or something yeah like if somebody <laughs> somebody you know cuz i feel like you go to a, a any bout time, and you're like, someone's gonna throw. Someone's a punch. gonna try oh, to yeah. throw. A punch. It's gonna but happen. those are the guys who don't, who've never fought. Because here's the thing that I learned is like you, 
never like the one thing that surprises everybody when you like wrestle, when you do Muay Thai, we could probably say is like how violent it gets, how quickly yeah. violent it gets. And like and so if like you're on the street or like in a bar or something, I'm not fighting you. I'll I'll leave. <laughs> like if I have to, like I think I think it all changes when like someone grabs you. But yeah. I went to Koa Kingdom yeah. and the guy who owns it, his name's Bobby. Um Okay. He's like he a legitimate he fights. Muay Thai fight, yeah, yeah, like he gets in and he fights. Yeah. And I remember it wasn't long in. He was like he was like punching hard matters, but knowing where to punch matters more. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Who's willing to have me show you what this is like? <laughs> and some guy's like, yeah, man, I'm in. And Bobby hit him, like, under the, I think in the kidney. So yeah, yeah, no. This dude crumbled. Yeah. Wow. And no. just couldn't breathe for minutes. Pissing Bobby's blood like, And Bobby's like, I, I didn't even give him 40%. Like, I, I went light on the wow. punch. Yeah. He's like, it's just where you punch. Yeah. Kidney, well, kidney shots. So I learned you learn that in boxing, headshots are is is like a checking is like spending money from a checking account. Me, immediate body shots are an investment because mm. you don't feel body shots right away. But like, then they add up. Pretty but then, quick. They, but two, three, four body shots, you're on the ground. Like you, it's bad. It amazes me watching how. Like, do you okay? Do you think if you got in a ring with Tyson, you could stand one punch? I'd love to say yes, but the answer is probably no. Dude, yeah, no. I think <laughs> I think I'd be six feet under. They did that. If it was a clean shot, I mean, there's just no way you're, you're, yeah. you're going down. Yeah. There's no way. I'll run. Would, from would you do That's that for any, like no. if they were like, bro, we'll give you ten million bucks to take a punch from Tyson? Well, there's a. It was a oh, roast of. Million. I don't know if it was Charlie Sheen or who it was. It was on Comedy Central. But Steve-O yeah. goes running into Mike Tyson's fist. Mike Tyson just holds his fist like this. <laughs> Steve-O comes <laughs> running, right. dead sprint, <laughs> runs into his fist and breaks his nose immediately. <laughs> oh my! He doesn't my even swing. Hell, he just dude. puts his arm out just like this. Yeah, yeah. No, that's I'm like good, hitting dude. a freight train. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> well, and Steve-O, you know, he'd probably do it. He did a lot of crazy you gotta stuff. Love Steve-O. Steve-O did the bungee. Uh yeah no 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 what's the ride where they strap you down, uh, and then they shoot you up like a like catapult this. thing yeah like a, he did that in a do you remember the yeah the slingshot remember he did that in a porta potty, a full oh yeah he did porta potty that is horrific do you remember Jackass <laughs> yeah. yep. this was great Jackass was great I, I worked at Zoomies when Jackass came, when CYK camp camp uh K Y C Y K yeah yeah came out and it was like. We had our little video action sports machine. And <laughs> dude, we could have had 10,000 of those and they'd have sold out. It didn't matter. Like, that's all everyone that's wanted so to watch. Awesome. I think those guys have a band. Aren't they called CYK as well? I think maybe, yeah. Wow. Not a Bam Margera's brother plays guitar in it or something like that. He's had a rough go. Bam yeah, Margera. Is. Well, is Bam. He, Which is unfortunate. It is. Is Bam Margera still a raging drug addict? And oh, I was going to say so. alive. I yeah, thought he's he, is, he is alive, okay, but I, thought, I think he's. I thought there was I think a couple he's close hanging calls. on. Yeah, I he's hanging there was on. A couple close calls where I, I think saw it was when his buddy Ryan Dunn uh, died in that car accident. That's that right. Really Ryan Dunn died. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Dunn died. Yeah. That's crazy. It couldn't what, have been easy. What What company do you own? So I have a software development company called Superfuzz. We build oh, okay. apps, websites, custom CRMs, pretty much everything. In Hot the plug. Ooh. I work with Greg and his team. Greg, Chris, and Cardick and team. They're the best. That's crazy. Like, yeah, I had my first I chance. Absolutely love working with you guys. Yeah, how, how do you, you make custom CRMs? We had before, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I might talk to you because I might. Uh, 
should. We were like internal. We're trying to figure out our internal CRM right now. Oh yeah. That doesn't like that doesn't bog down. So like if I build a list of fifteen hundred for Nick's company, I don't want to put fifteen hundred in his and just weigh down his whole CRM with nothing. Sure. I only want to put the stuff in that uh, books, but I need to keep track of the fifteen hundred on my end, right? So like we're and if you're doing that with twenty yeah, companies, yeah, I'm trying to figure out an internal thing. Yeah, I'm sure anyway. Greg, Chris, and team could figure <laughs> it out. Oh, for sure, we have amazing people. Um, I had the chance to go to India to visit the team last uh, summer, and you've been to Mumbai before, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, you took your daughter, right? We did, yeah. Okay, I want to. I, I don't want to interrupt the story, but I want to come back to <laughs> you taking your daughter there because I want to take my kids. But yeah. She, so um, the two places that we've been to where Isabel was an absolute rock star. One was Beijing. Everyone's wanted to take a picture, bright blonde hair. Then in India, everyone is just so nice, but they would stop. They'd take selfies with her. Like she was just an absolute rock star over there. Oh, she was a lot cool. Of fun. She's a cute girl. I've, I cool. follow you guys on social and I watched your, your India trip and yeah, that looked awesome. When were you there? You were there not too long ago. No, it was a while ago. It was like, it was with GoPro and I was at GoPro. 20 late 2012 to like 2014 okay. so it was i did get deli belly there <laughs> we talked about that like i got so sick oh that's too bad yeah but otherwise love the country people are so humble and nice the food's amazing yeah um our team's in pune india which is about 90 miles outside of mumbai okay. not too far away inland yeah yeah yep so you, how was it? Was that the first time you'd been and spent time with your team there? Yeah, I mean, like, so we, I've worked with these guys now. Chris started the company back in uh, 2010, if you can believe that. He was working wow. at Adobe and had a side gig building websites. And like many people, was using overseas teams, which you get mixed results, right? Sometimes the communication is good. Sometimes it's bad. The code can be good. It can be bad. You just never really know what you're getting. Um, but he met Kartik, who was working at essentially this dev sweatshop there in India. And the, they weren't paying their employees. They were treating them terribly. And Chris said, hey, why don't we start our own company? So he went to Kartik and admit they got a small apartment there in Pune, India. And they filled it with about three or four developers. That team is now over 85 developers. So it's wow. growing substantially. Cool. That's crazy. They're, they're uh, doing a lot of work with shared clients, uh, Raps Direct. Um, Naboso, Dazpak. The Dazpak mm -hmm. one's, I think, going to be real fun. Oh, I agree. You guys so, did a great job on the design. Well, thanks. You guys always make it, you bring <laughs> it to life in a nice way. So we're excited about that. I well, met with those cool. guys yesterday and they're they're just geeked out of their mind. They <coughs> they were like, hey, we know the deadline or the, the due date technically is like the 28th, but you think uh, Superbus could have it by the 14th? Because we have a board meeting. I'm like, Dude, I'm not even going to ask them. There's no, <laughs> like, you don't understand two weeks, how much work you get done in those two weeks. And they're like, that's totally cool, man. We're, we're stoked on it anyways. Like, we'll, we'll just show <laughs> the wireframes. Well, I think it's important when you hire a company. I mean, design and development are completely two different professions. And people don't realize that. They very, don't. Very much with marketing. Oh, I'm a marketing company. Well, do you do PVC? Do you do SEO? Like, those are completely different proficiencies. Yeah. Um, and we don't focus on design. That's why we awesome we partner with awesome companies like yours that are really good at what you do. You take that design and put it into motion. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, man. So Chris started in twenty ten, but you joined afterwards, I joined right? in twenty eighteen as a co owner. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's rad. Cool. And then cool. what's the what's your relationship? What's going on with Ziglio? Ziglio it's still growing. We're still developing that. My partners are from Jamaica. You've met Layton. Yeah, Layton's a stud too. 
Yeah, Leighton uh, just had a, a baby about a year and a half ago, so he's enjoying uh, being a father, and he's doing good. Yeah, That's nice. Cool. How did you get uh, connected to Leighton? So once upon a time, I worked for a company called Disruptive Advertising, which you guys may have heard of yeah. down in Lehigh. And uh, during the early days, we did our own advertising, ran Google ads and a little bit of social media. But I got a call from this Jamaican gentleman uh, who was <coughs> representing a company called goodaccountants.com. And that was that was Leighton back then. And uh, we started working on a client basis, and we developed a friendship. And for years, he's like, Greg, we're going to start a company. We're going to start a company. And then at the beginning of 2018, I got a call from the Facebook campus. And he's like, remember that company that we're going to start? And he's like, we just won the Facebook Accelerator. Oh, dang. And so wow. they started the company back then, and we've been screwing ever since. Wow. That's great. And it so we use Ziglio with a client plugged into their cart abandonment. And it sends postcards instead of emails. Well, that's such cool. a cool way to interact with with a customer or a potential customer, right? Yeah. Like another killer touch point. And I know you guys have plans for many other things, but for sure, I, I yeah. thought Ziglio. I, I think it's such a cool. Okay. Yeah, it it's a great channel that is ignored most of the time. Like, are you but talking about direct at it? Yeah, it's direct yeah. mail to their house. Yeah. Well, you, you know that they're high intent, but it's not just an email campaign being blasted their way. It's exactly right. It's everybody's in their hand. well, it's the pattern interrupt. Like that's what's that's what we do in sales, right? Is like uh, a good salesperson knows when to just like totally you just interrupt everything. It's totally foreign. Like my favorite thing to do when someone says like like if you have a objection, is like I don't have the time for this right now. And you're like, Oh, thank God me either. They're just not ready for it. And they respond easier, right? So if you had something in the mail, I'd be like, "Oh, this is crazy! What the?" F and then I, yeah, I'd probably go buy it again. You must love the movie Wolf of Wall Street. That must be like your sales. I do. I, I've actually been on sales floor. <laughs> I've actually been on sales floors like the Wolf of Wall Street. Those just <laughs> dime bags. Yeah, you told spin. me they were yeah. incentivizing you with coke. <laughs> they were. They were, giving, they were they, I'm not joking, bro. They were. They were giving out dime bags, man. Like eight, eight balls for spiffs, dude. Uh, Dude, when I was at, at GoPro, we had. I need to be careful. We had some some people who were who were in some leadership roles. That you were like, who were like, yeah. yo, we're traveling and it's like to go skiing. I <laughs> they like to go skiing and it was hard, dude. I remember he broke a glass countertop bar in Thailand or something, and it was <laughs> it was like Dude, it was like a thirty thousand dollar build, and they're like. We got to charge you. And he's like, yeah, okay. Fine. Yeah, okay. Dude, we here's got the, the cash for it. No big deal. Here's the the guy was a maniac. I think, I think. Maniac, dude. I think good salespeople start out in environments like traditional sales, like just Wolf of Wall, like just grinds like that. And then you graduate to like where I'm at, where you're like, you, I think it's good to start at something like that personally. Really? That I sort of so. like. Like a traditional, just hardcore, like door to door sale where you just like. You and me were knocking a thousand doors in an hour, and we've got to get it done. And then we're gonna make, you know, because you got to see the vision of sales a little bit. Sure. Well, and no matter what just you're doing, I mean, just a little bit. I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be a salesperson. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're yeah. gonna start your own business and you can't sell, I want nothing to do with yeah. you yeah. or that company. <laughs> like, and well, so you, you got to learn yeah, it somewhere. Yeah. Yep. And I, I feel like I like the you yeah. are. You are such a good salesman, and that I don't feel like you ever are selling. 
but I know that you are. But you have you have a, a vibe about you that I think sometimes I can come across, and my song. old school Zoomies days come out, and I'm like, <laughs> "How much money do you have in your wallet? I'm going to take all of it, and you're, you're, you're going to love me for it." Zoomies, yeah, huh? Zoomies. You're on commission at Zoomies. It was you had a base, and then if you got someone to buy more than a hundred bucks in a transaction, you made two percent, and every added hundred bucks, you got an extra percent. Okay, dude, you could clean up if you knew how to sell, and then if you sold a hundred thousand dollars in a year. They would send you to an all-expense-paid trip to like Vail, or Copper. We went to we went to Keystone, Colorado, a bunch. Oh, that's cool. And I'm telling you, one time, and they they would spend millions of dollars on a party. Literally. Yeah. You'd be there I've with another those. thousand people, and one year they had elephants on the mountain. They flew elephants in. <laughs> no way, dude. It's worse than that. The whole theme was Willy Wonka. <laughs> so they hired little people. <laughs> with chocolate bars dress them up as oompa loompas put You're them kidding me. put them on the elephants <laughs> riding around riding around the Dude, mountain listen. and like snowboarding with you and then then they had like a whole thing the, the night yeah. of the party and these little people in Oompa Loompa costumes running up, like giving you candy chocolate bars. Oh and yeah, dude. You're just like, what is happening? Listen. listen. But it dude, it created this vibe <laughs> where the minute people were on the sales floor, yeah, dude. But people would get on the sales floor and they're like, let me show you a picture of 100K last year. You need to get there. And people would be like, why are we talking? I'm going to go sell to this person. Yeah, and that's they what would I'm saying. Race to the customer. That's wow. what I'm saying. It's you why you walk in that store and you're basically assaulted. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. you need to so you need to teach a salesperson how to be that, and then you need to dial, dial and then it you down. need to teach them how to dial it back. So like it's that old quote that it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. I like that kind of thing because you Deep. just you make them you make them just animals and just vicious, and then you teach them how to tame it and dial it back. And those are the guys because every once in a while you're in a sale and you need to push. Like I got this guy and he just needs a little bit of love, right? He needs a little bit of TLC and he needs a little you know he's gonna do it right if he's not gonna do it with you he's gonna do it with somebody else so i need to so you need to bring out zoomies days and you bring out your little wolf of water and you need to so you always hear about the that deal, philosophy right? of the silent close right where yeah the last person who talks loses sure is that true no no i don't think so yeah i, I it depends like sometimes i'm in a close and what and i'm not and i know that i need to use the silence as power but then other times i'm like it's it's thirty five hundred bucks, <laughs> like yeah. like I don't have, we don't get into that right like it just depends. I yeah. I do share your uh, approach and belief that you should just be upfront with pricing. Yeah, that's true. Like I just don't. It's a waste of time. Amount. It's a waste of time. I was trying to get on, like a. I was considering alternatives to Dropbox. Mm -hmm. We're managing so many files. Yeah, I mean it. It's crazy expensive, and it's also. File management as a creative agency, believe it or not, is one of the biggest challenges and pains in sure. the ass. <laughs> and I'm talking to all these other companies. No one will give pricing. No one will be upfront about it. And Dropbox, it was like, it's this price for this. It's the and I was like, this is just easy. Yeah. I just why does it have to be a secret? What is the power? It's just a waste of time. Well, it's not being upfront about it. A client calls, you know, we get on a call or whatever, and they're like, yeah, I got all these questions. I'm like, answering. We're talking. And then undoubtedly they're like, you know, if at some point you could send me a deck with maybe like some ballpark pricing, I'm like, no need, man. Our minimum is five grand a month, period. Yep. It's just it is what it yeah. is. And you'll yeah. instantly get people who are like, Oh, cool. Well, that's in my budget. What what do you get for that? And then you <laughs> tell them. And then you start or, working on it. Yeah. Or they're like, 
oh, five grand's too much. Yeah. And when I started doing that and I'd have people go, five grand's too much, yeah. that's when I it hit me and I'm like, well, I should do a separate company that does really, really cheap creative for people and yep. I'll outsource it. And yeah. that's how the underground was born. And now, now it's kind of nice too that I have that because I can go in hard and be like, it's five grand a month, knowing if that price is out of range, then I'm like, cool, they're not qualified for grounded. I'm not spending any of my time talking about grounded anymore. It's like, let me show you the underground because this is perfect for you. When yeah. did you start the underground? Five months ago. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You buy a block of credits. Like you can buy 150 credits for 1200 bucks, And then you can redeem those credits whenever you want for the next six months. But to shoot a video, it's 30 credits. Nice. Yeah. So you get. So there's no monthly minimum. There's no contract. It's yeah. just like, do your thing. Which is how we met, by the way, uh, at a video shoot for. Was it guitar, premiereguitar.com? Guitar Tricks. Guitar Tricks, there you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dude, and we were so early at Grounded. I mean, I'm a huge believer. You want to start a business before you build anything, Yeah. before you have a process in place, go sell it. Yeah. Like, just get the money in the door first and then figure out how to solve the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and Guitar <laughs> Tricks was one of our very first customers. And yeah. they were like, okay, we want you. And we were... We had worked with them a little bit, and we'd built up our design side, but we hadn't built up video yet. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, well, we want to do video. And we're like, okay, done. It was not the best setup. It was not. <laughs> I thought it was but great. But it worked. Yeah. It worked, and those ads yeah. those ads killed it. Um, Did they? Yeah. So you were awesome on camera. Oh, thank you. And I remember <laughs> you coming in, and I knew Earl a little bit. And I was like, I just, Earl's yeah. a stud. Like He's such a good guy. Yeah. As stellar as his reputation is, he's better in person. I agree. Like, it's a rare thing to say that, but Earl is that kind of guy. He's got yeah. that deep radio voice, but he's very genuine. There's yeah. no, there's no so front genuine. with Earl whatsoever. Yeah. And he brought you in, and I didn't know that you were even going to come. And instantly I was like, who's this son of a bitch in the <laughs> fancy shoes? <laughs> it's got to be the shoes. Holy. It's got to be the and shoes. And then Earl's good on the guitar. And we had a lot of people come in who play guitar. Dude, no smoke. You just like, you blew us away. <laughs> I'm not a musician, <laughs> but I was like, this dude can play. Thank you. Shred. You could just see the passion that you have for it, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, my guitars are by far my most valuable possessions other than my family, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Would you ever do a like a solo project, or have you done a solo project? So I've written about ten solo songs over the last year or so, and Chris and I are actually recording a few of them right now. So we bought a bunch of recording equipment, and we're doing some demos. So do you sing? I do. Nice. I do. What is it? What kind of music is it? I, I would mix it. Jimmy World meets the Beatles meets Death Cab for Cutie. Kind of like a mixture of indie rock with post hardcore, I guess you could say. Okay. That's interesting. I'd love to hear it yeah. when you're, when it's in the can. Yeah, I'd for like sure. to hear it. I'll send you some stuff, dude. My, I feel like cool. as I'm getting older, my style of music is so <laughs> changing and shifting. It's, dude. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I don't know if you guys have listened to the new Zach Bryan album. No. Oh, my holy hell! That dude, his voice is like a mixture of Jesus and Fergie. Fergie, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that dude can so, wail. Yeah. And Zach Bryan's good. Because I love the Lumineers. Like yeah. big, mostly I listen to um, hip hop or like Japanese lo-fi, or then um, 
things like the the Black Pumas mm-hmm. Dude, mm-hmm. and the Budos Band. Legit. Love the Budos Band. Yep. So I, I'm like kind of in that realm, but the Lumineers are just, they're up there for me. And I guess that it was like his favorite band. My wife showed me this thing. He messaged them on Facebook like 10 years before he got popular and was like, you guys are my favorite band. You've changed my life. I love you. I've been recording music. I Here's a link. Like if you would just listen to a song, it would mean the world to me. Never got a reply back. They uh, did a track together on his new album. Really? Wow. And then, like, if you look, he's got 2 million followers on social media, and they've got, like, 200,000 followers. <laughs> That's awesome. But it, it's so cool to kind of yeah. hear that. And So he is a country guy, but he doesn't feel country. He feels more lumineers than country. Like folk. I don't kind know, of, dude. Yeah, it's like kind of like Americana. It's like soul. It's but like, it's like yeah, but like Americana f- soul. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know Black Pumas. Yeah, yeah. But Zach Bryan's more like Americana folk. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, but they have a rock element too. I, my biggest problem with country music, it feels so processed. The majority of it. Yeah, yeah. But then you have guys like that that are actually doing their own thing. They Super write their pared own music, down. and it's yeah, it's a lot more enjoyable for sure. Yeah. Well, like, um, who's the new guy that that just came out? He's they said he was country. Oh, I have one of his favorite songs. Like it's country. He's his genre on Apple Music is country, but he's not country. Um, Tyler Childs. Okay, you've heard him. Uh-uh. He's not country. He's more Americana folk, like West Virginia. Kind of like seeing all the styles kind of merge, like you said. Yeah, mm-hmm. you've got Jimmy World meets the Beatles. Like that's a unique yeah mix. But it's sure. I, I, I like guess that. I guess you know you could say it's country. And I've heard some people say, like, this is what country is supposed to be. But, like, if you have that Appalachian kind of Smoky Mountain Americana oh, yeah. vibe, like, that's not country to me. That's no, that's different. The country right? that I grew up on was Willie Nelson, yeah, okay, Johnny that, Cash, yeah, that's, Waylon yeah. Jennings. I mean, the outlaw country was my favorite. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. But, like, yeah, some of the country today is just, like, pop music. Yeah. With twang or whatever, like, you want to call it like that. You know what I mean? But but I like the old. I like folk music. Like like I, the Lumineers would be like folk for me. Or um, oh, and Hoosier. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Hoosier, he's kind of folk. Is he like, still around? Yeah, he's still making music okay. a little bit. He's he's like as tall as Chris. He's that man's gigantic. He's like yeah, six really seven. big. Hoosier yeah, big. I saw him do something where he just <laughs> went down into a New York subway and yes, played, and, and played. no one knew it. And you're like. This dude's touching the ceiling. He's got yeah, he's and he, massive. And he had pipes. And he, yeah, and he, he can, can sing. sing. He's got and a he great can voice. Sing. Yeah. This is something that is always funny that you both of you gotta measure, but like seeing people on TV and then seeing them in real life. It like just you feel like someone's bigger in, re, in on screen than they are in person. And they're tiny in real and life. And they're just small, dude. Dude. <laughs> coming out of Caesar's Palace a few years ago, Matthew McConaughey walks up. <laughs> Dude's like four nine. Yeah, he is no so. Way. He's I mean, short. not four nine, but he he's, is he's, yeah. five three, five four. Him? I'm tall. I was I towered what? over him. I'm five nine. And I was like, hey man, how's Let's it going? See. Let's see, dude. <laughs> What's up, dude? Matthew. It was him and Clint Eastwood together. Okay. Yeah, I was shocked. Small dude. That's crazy. Tom Cruise is small too. Yeah, Tom. Cruise he's like is small. what five six, five seven, probably. I think so. He also has the straightest crookedest teeth you've ever seen in your life <laughs> have you seen a picture of this okay no, no so how dorian t- google this tom cruise straight crooked teeth dude they are perfectly straight only 
you know, you have your like the gap in between your two mm-hmm. front teeth lines up with the middle of your head. Nope. <laughs> the middle of one of his teeth are in the middle of his head. It's like the whole top row just shifted like Ooh, like a wow, quarter dude. of an inch over. Perfectly okay, wait. straight but crooked. How tall are you? See what I'm saying, Dorian? There's even pictures on Google where there's a line drawn down his face. You're like, it's through the dead center of a tube. <laughs> Do you see it? You gotta show these guys. They don't they won't believe me. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, <dude. laughs> you'll never unsee it now i've ruined tom cruise for you guys dude well i didn't like tom cruise anyway he's good in vanilla though. sky that's a good movie that is a good movie it's a great movie i liked when he when he flew off the right, cliff in the last mission impossible okay how tall are you what see dude <laughs> what so so it's it's there so you see it there oh my gosh so you see it and then It's unbelievable. <laughs> wow, dude. What? Oh, wow. That's wild. It's gnarly, dude. <laughs> so it's, it's like it's, he got hit yes. by Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> dude, but yes, I remember here like seeing some of my big sales guys. So I think the one time... I actually don't like this person, and I'll say his name because I don't really care. But wow, have, you ever heard heat. The na- have you ever heard of... You probably, but you guys have never heard of him because unless you're in like the sales. Gary world. V. Alex Ramosi. Uh, Brad. No, I like Bradley. Uh, Andy Elliott. You know who I'm talking about? No. Uh-huh. Okay, this guy is he's super old school sales trainer. He actually really pisses me off. I really don't like him. And I met him in real life at SolarCon once, and he's legitimately five three, but he wears like super tight clothes and like works out and has like. Shorter shorts than Scott Paul, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and dude, he's just like, um, so short. Wow. And I'm like, why are you talking so much shit on everybody on social media? You're fu- so every time I see a video of his, I don't like on social media. I'll be like, I'll be like, Andy's four <laughs> eleven, and like Does he everybody's just ever? losing. <laughs> no, <laughs> he doesn't know me. He's like, like he's five really, two. I'm like he's like yeah yeah yeah. He's like I'm actually taller than that. I'm like dude. Anyway, it's crazy. What? So when you came out of music, yeah, you you got into business. Uh, was that always the plan, or did you stumble upon it, or like? So it's kind of funny. My plan was to go to law school. I oh, cool! Studied political science in school and philosophy, and uh, I have a brother who's an attorney, so I thought that was kind of like my my career path. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was my senior year of college here at the U that I got the invite uh, from one of my friends to come play guitar in the band. And they were, they're from Northern California, the Sacramento area. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up moving to Provo um, during probably like 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, our bass player at the time was studying audio engineering at BYU. Oh, cool. So we found out that we could get free recording time at the BYU recording studio through him. Oh. So we came in with our tattoos and our black hair, walking <laughs> around BYU campus, and that's where our first demo was recorded, was at BYU. Oh, heck yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. And... Uh, Dude, holy cow, that's crazy. So what what made you jump? Like, what was the transition from music to business? So the band broke up. Um, I went back to school, got my degree. Okay. And then one of my first jobs out of college was actually working for a Wolf of Wall Street type uh, sales company. Oh, what company was They're, it? Well, I, I'll... Okay, all right, all right. All right. They're in Salt Lake. <laughs> they, they know who they are. But uh, okay. essentially doing outbound calls, doing equipment leasing. So... 
Multi-million oh, dollar deals. Which okay, is there's only a couple of those. There's only a couple. Okay, all right. And they're still I active. Um, but that was kind of my intro into sales because I've yeah. never done sales before. Yeah. But you learn a lot when you're out doing outbound calls to people that you've never talked to before. Yeah. And updating your CRM and following up on leads and it was a wild world for sure. Right, dude. I don't, I'm sorry, I had to step out. My mom and 92 year old grandparents are coming. <laughs> and I just uh-huh. got like five missed phone calls, and now they're not answering. So oh, that feels good. <laughs> but but on the sales side, and I may hey, be backpedaling a bit. One thing I I think a lot of people outside of sales don't realize is the best salespeople really understand a CRM. Yep. And are really organized. Yeah, you have to understand be- how to follow up. Like there is so much. I I feel like I'm not great at that side of it. I'll have a great call. We're doing things. And then I'm like, okay, I got to follow up in two mm-hmm. days. And I forgot to put notes in HubSpot. And then the next day, I'm like, I don't remember what we talked about. Yeah. yeah. Like, holy shit. I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. It, if you're good at sales, you're organized. You have, have to have that be. conversation and take great notes and understand the action items and nurture the leads in, in your CRM. It's, yeah. it's gnarly. It's it a is. lot more complex than people realize. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty wild. Do you feel like that helped you in your sales career, being being on something like that? I oh, know that absolutely. I had just talked about it. <laughs> absolutely. Learning to talk to people that you've never met before and know nothing about is a game changer for sure. Right, right. And then I just like that one of the things I like about being on such a, like, that kind of sales floor where it's just cutthroat and everybody's passive, aggressive because we got to play as a team, but I hate you. And if you sell, I, I don't like you. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, I just think it. I don't know. It's just a rite of passage for me. Yep. Like, it's just one of those things where, like, if you can make it through that and you're still here, you're all right then. Let's go. Right? I'll go. I'll do that with you. <laughs> yep. Like, I like that. I like that we've kind of, because in our culture, we've kind of lost that rite of passage. Like, those those moments in life where you, you know, like, if you were in, in any other time. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Bro. In, in any. In, Grandma. <laughs> in in a lot of other cultures, you're put in these, in, you're intentionally put in these situations where, like, you have to grow. And, yep. like, you le- you know, you leave your mother and your father and you've got to, like, you know, do these things. And, um, and then you come out of that with all of this knowledge that you would have never gotten. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a sales floor like that is one of them. Like, oh, you want to start sales? I tell people they're like, how do you want to get into sales? I was like, go to any car dealership and go sell. Yeah. I think that I think you'd be fine. Right? Go be a go join a <laughs> go join a cold calling team, dude. You want to sell? Go cold call for a year. It was also very rewarding though at the same time though, when you actually get like your first big sale and you've done it on your own yes. work. Like that's a very pumped up feeling. That is yeah, that's adrenaline. You're like, dude, I just I closed that deal and it was all me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like no one gave it to me. They weren't an inbound lead. I talked to somebody, convinced them of something. Like that's the bad definition of sales, right? Yeah. <laughs> Convincing people to spend money they don't have on something they don't want. <laughs> well, that's it's, it's the negotiation tactics. Oh, dude, I yes. Life, dude. I think why Nick's so good at sales, he's just so brutally honest on phone calls. Like he'll tell a client exactly what he thinks, and they love that. Mm-hmm. They're not used to that kind of feedback. Right, which is that? But yeah, that pattern in a row. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's why you just like. You'll get so many more deals. I mean, you'll lose a couple, but no one bats 100. But you'll get so many more deals if, if you just like, you know, like, my, for example, mine is $3,500. That's where I start. And so whenever somebody tells me, and I do sales training, and when so when someone tells me, like, 
what should I tell him? Like, how do you overcome? What's the price? I'm like, tell him the price. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's how you overcome it. I'm like, if you ever tell me it depends, I know you've never spent a real day in sales. Yeah. Because like, it doesn't depend. Because I'm not get uh, there's I don't get out of bed for less than X. That's the price. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you want to negotiate, we can talk. But yeah, it's wild. So you're doing sales for grounded right now, then? Yeah, we do outsource for them. Cool. Yeah, we and we have a couple others. It, it started because. I kept get I, dude. Sales is wild. You just you're the first one to go, in a company most of the time. Hmm. They'll let they'll let salespeople go, before they let HR. But you think it'd be the opposite because that's what the lifeblood is. Yeah, you think yeah. so. But you look at like these big companies out here. I just saw a bunch of people post on Podium, from Weave getting laid off. Wow. People just laid off, laid off. So I, I've been laid off twice, and then I was like, screw this, dude. I'm not doing this again. I was like, so we're just going to start our own thing and do our own thing. And it worked. Because if you can sell, like, I don't know. I remember this. I, I'm really confident in sales, and I remember teaching a sales company one time while I was working for another tech company. I was like, look, man, my boss could come through the door right now and say, you're fired, and I have a job before I left the room. And the next day they came in and they fired all, they wow. fired all of us. I mean, I wasn't the only one. Otherwise, I would have been suspicious, but... But I was like, all right, time to put your money where your mouth is. Good for you. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And and it worked out, so it was fun. Is there a certain industry that you specialize in, or is it pretty agnostic? Yeah, I mean, it's mostly the professional services. So places that paid advertising doesn't really work in, Okay. we go in. So, like, marketing companies are a good example. Like, a marketing company can't, like, Facebook ads, PPC, that stuff doesn't really work for business to business in a small scale. Sure. There's two types of marketing. There's the large company that Apple and their branding, mass marketing, and ego. That's their marketing. It's Nike versus Adidas. If you're a small company, it has to be direct response sure. marketing. So we, we are the direct response guys. Because uh, it's just tough. Because like, what's the alternative? Hire somebody who is commission only? Yeah. Like, and that's extremely difficult. To find somebody who'll work for commission only. Kill what you eat. And then, and then, yeah, yeah, eat what you kill. And then, um, yeah, because the, the rule in business is pay, like, comp plans dictate behavior. Mm. <laughs> so if I got a free guy, like, he's going to go where the money is. And unless you, unless you have, like, I, I consult with companies and I'm like, you can hire a commission only guy. But you be, you better give them a ton of leads. Yeah. Or it better just be a no-brainer sale. I should be able to sell this to anybody Amen. in five minutes. And then if that's the sale, then commission sales only works. Hmm. It doesn't work in a big B2B two-month sale, right? Like if I'm selling $50,000 websites, which I've done before. Which yeah. is what we build. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's like, but it's really tough to have a, yeah. your commission only, this is going to take you two months, but yep. when you sell it, you're just like, because hopefully, like hopefully you get a guy who can, but in my experience, it's like, he's got bills to pay and yeah. he can do it for two weeks, but then when rents do, he's just going to bail. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> so the funny part is the band has provided lots of business opportunities. Well, from a networking standpoint, yes, uh, we play lots of Silicon Slopes type events. We're playing Startfest here on the 26th at Gateway. Oh, cool, um, dude, sick! 
That is cool. And I think one of the biggest selling points of our company and what we do is that people know us and know our reputation. That way when they talk to us, they've already heard about us from, from Nick or from somebody else. Or So by the time we get to the sale, it's not really even a sale. It's just very much relationship-based and exchanging of ideas and talking about how you can work together. And so that's kind of how we've built our company. It's dope. Yeah, yeah for sure. Dope. Love it. Is your family okay? Uh, dude, so my 65-year-old mom, 70-year-old aunt, <laughs> and 92-year-old grandparents are all on speakerphone like, we don't know where we are. We're in a parking garage, but, we, but I can't even find my way out. And I'm like, wait, did you? I drew a, I literally drew a map for my mom. Like, this is where you're going to turn. This is where you're going to go. And they're like, we're looking at the map, but I think it's upside down. And... <laughs> They're here now. <laughs> so I, I was like, you're in the wrong parking garage. Turn around. Come down. Do the, take yeah. a right. Take a left. I thought you guys were in the building this. next door where the construction is going on. Oh, so I yeah. walked up and I was like, oh, my gosh, how do I get in here? But yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, is Google will not send people to our office. Huh. It's so weird. But next door, Visit Salt Lake uh, just moved in there. Okay. And I'm like, look, you guys got to do something to help us. Like, flag on Google Maps where, where to come because... Every single time, it's like you got to come in between the two buildings with the weird <laughs> statues, and no one can find this place. But but they are here now, and uh, I think they're probably just now getting into my office to hang out. So <laughs> nice. On that note, sick. Thanks for coming. I've loved. Thanks it. for having me, man. It's been fun. Yeah, dude. Appreciate let's, it. Let's uh, let's keep doing uh, work together. Okay. Super Rock fuzz for the on. win. Amen. Let's go. Amen. We do September twenty oh, sixth yeah. at the Gateway, dude. Let's go. Yeah. Is it like a rager? But it's Start Fest, so should we start a mosh pit? Well, that's so <laughs> because we play lots of tech events. That's the funny part is you have all these guys like slam dancing, messing around, but they're in like business suits and yeah. business casual. It's kind of fun. And then you're just up there in a tank top and dress shoes. Exactly, dude. Yeah. It's perfect. Ah, yes. <laughs> Let's go.